Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It is now the 20th day of November 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Hey, um, it's Sunday, and it's time for the Sunday request. And this is an interesting Sunday request because... It came as a result of something that I did as a joke. When the Cubs defeated the Cleveland Indians in that epic Game 7 of this year's World Series, clearly I need to talk about that the next day. Clearly that needed to be the topic for the next day. But I decided to start the... You know, to start the podcast with a little bit of a joke. I had a little bit of a joke, and I said that I started talking as if the topic of the day was going to be about the history and the evolution of the Seattle Mariners hats. And I kind of tried to think of what would be kind of a mundane topic to bring up, like, you know, as if it was an evergreen podcast, something I had in the bank that, that was not time-sensitive, and to have people who listen to this podcast every day wanting to get either my take or hear what I had to think or my reaction or whatever it was for what was, I think is clearly one of the five greatest games of my lifetime. Maybe, as I said, I probably have it in the top three. The three that I had were the final games of the 1991 2001 and 2016 World Series. And quite frankly, I think they could be arranged in any order. And I broke it down in that. But I started as if I was seriously going to talk about the history of the Seattle Mariners hats. And then I broke free and I started making a joke. And that, to me, that was where the humor lay. That was, it was kind of, a, why are we talking about this? It's such a mundane, weird topic. And of course, I do 365 of these a year. And so naturally, every once in a while, I'm going to hit something kind of bizarre or mundane. But an interesting thing happened. A couple of people responded saying, actually, I kind of like to hear what you had to think about that. And one of them specifically, um, who is a frequent contributor, and I did my apology to him about my... uh, criticizing people who voted third party on a uh, politically neutral podcast. Uh, That would be Illini Dodgers, Rob. Um, He wrote to me, come on, Sully Baseball, I was looking forward to you dissecting the history of the Mariners logo. Seriously, great podcast about an epic game. Thank you. He wasn't alone. A bunch of people tweeted at me. I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about that. And, God. You know, when an atheist says, God bless you, you know he means it. And so, God bless you, my crazy fans, for goading me into basically following through on what was a joke. But then again, I took what was a toss-away tweet about Bryce Harper and Clayton Kershaw owning baseball on the first day of the 2013 season, and turned it into a 
four-season obsession to try to figure people out in terms of who owns baseball because I can't let stuff go. And I couldn't just let this go. I couldn't just let me making a little joke about the Mariners and their hats. I couldn't let that go. So, okay, let's talk about Mariners hats, shall we? Because I actually have something to say about it. Now, Seattle is, and I'm going to talk a little bit over the next few months about some things with the Seattle Mariners, but Seattle has always been a strange market for baseball. It is by far our most remote franchise in terms of the closest teams to the Seattle Mariners. That would be the Giants and the Oakland A's, and that's not really close. The Pacific Northwest, the region where, quite frankly, your pal Sully would love to live and call his home, is a lot bigger than you think it is and has only a few teams to represent them in terms of the professional ranks. In terms of basketball, with the Supersonics gone, there really only exists the Portland Trailblazers. In terms of hockey, with no team in Portland, or no NHL team in Portland, no NHL team in Seattle, you've got the Vancouver Canucks. In terms of the NHL and and Major League Baseball, you have the Seahawks and you have the Mariners. Now, Portland had been rumored to be a potential place to expand Major League Baseball in the 60s. There was a proposal for a dome stadium in the suburbs of Portland, and there's been rumors of having potentially build a new Major League Stadium there and have it be a viable new Major League franchise to put there. And I have said that if they put a Major League team in Portland and your pal Sully winds up living in Oregon... I'm not 100% sure I wouldn't adopt that team or not. It may just happen. It may, of course, happen if I move to Washington State permanently. I'd have to think long and hard about converting to the Seattle Mariners, a team that I've always had a soft spot in my heart for. But because they're so remote, that sometimes it seems like they're out of, you know, they're, they're out of sight, out of mind for the majority of baseball fans. You know, it's strange that we're now in a position where the Mariners have the longest postseason drought of any team in Major League Baseball. 2001 was the last time the city of Seattle saw October ball, and that team ended somewhat uh, prematurely for a 116-win club like they had that year when they lost to the Yankees in the ALCS. So Seattle has always been a little strange. It took them forever to get to put a winning product on the field, let alone go to the postseason. They are, Seattle is the only city, the only city that currently has a major league franchise that has never hosted a World Series. Now, I have to phrase it like that, of course, because the city of Washington did host three World Series, 1924, 1925, and 1933. That was from the Washington Senators, the franchise that is now the Minnesota Twins. The current franchise, the Washington Nationals, have never played in a World Series, nor their 
previous incarnation as the Montreal Expos. But I have to phrase it like that. Seattle still is looking for its first appearance in the World Series. And the Pacific Northwest is kind of strange in terms of its sports allegiances in certain ways. It took a while to have them warm up to Major League Baseball, and the idea of putting a Major League team in there, while it was looked upon as a viable market, it, they found that they were very, the people in the Northwest were big sports fans, but they were more interested in local sports or more interested in local colleges and other, other sports that may not be as popular, like boating was popular in the 60s in Seattle. And you see now that the major soc- major league soccer has really taken off in the Northwest, especially in Portland and Seattle, in a way that maybe hasn't in other parts of the country. They're the West. But they don't identify themselves as being kind of connected with like California, and they're kind of tucked away. It's one of the things I kind of like about the Northwest when I've been up there. As I'm recording this, I'm currently wearing my Washington State University shirt, Go Cougs, as a proud graduate of Washington State University. Well, they put a team up there in 1969, and it was a cataclysmic disaster. The Seattle Pilots, the, the, the main thing that they brought to the history of baseball was it was the inspiration of Jim Bouton's book, Ball Four, the first real controversial tell-all book about baseball. And it also brought about one of the strangest, ugliest hats in the history of the game. It was a blue hat. In fact, they had the similar colors of what were initially became the Seattle Mariners. It was blue and yellow with an S and kind of like those, you know that it's called scrambled eggs, that those kind of wings that you would see on the brim of the cap. It was just a bizarre-looking hat. It was so strange, it was almost beautiful. And, but it truly wasn't. It was ugly, and, and, and the pilots were a disaster. They lost, they, not just a disaster in terms of the standings, a disaster in terms of the, you know, the box office and the gate, but they lost so much money that they basically were filing for bankruptcy and injunctions and lawsuits came about. They wound up playing the next year in Milwaukee, and lawsuits came about, and blah, 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 and eventually the Mariners were formed. Now, the Mariners' hat, when they were formed, right out of the gate, the Mariners were up to something interesting. They had a new stadium to play, and they played in the Dome, the King Dome, which was built for multi-purpose stadium and became the home of the Seahawks and became the home of the Mariners. The Mariners were formed in the 70s, and with that, they had the pullover uniforms, they had the belt as part of the pants, they had the, the polyester, the, whatever, the double mint, whatever it was, they had the unusual kind of weird sharp font and a hat. And I'm currently wearing one of these. If you go to sellybaseball.com or if you go to mlbreports.com, you'll see a picture of me wearing it because I love this hat. It was a blue hat with a trident, the upside-down trident, yellow trident that basically formed an M. Now, it was interesting that they had a hat that had the letters for the team name 
and not the city name. It's almost a given that your hat will have the name of the city represented and not the team. I'm trying to think if any team does that now other than the Chicago White Sox and the Oakland A's. Those are really the only two I can think of off the top of my head where it's not the city is not represented on the hat. Of course, you know, you have some that have a picture of something. Chief Wahoo, yikes, um, the Blue Jay on the Blue Jay's hat. Um, but for most of the time, when you think about a hat, they'll have A for Atlanta, B for Boston, NY for New York, etc., etc., etc. They had the trident, which was a really nice, simple piece of artwork. It was a minimal trident. I'm going to look at my hat right now. Pointed down with the, 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 the points downward, creating that M. And with the modern uniforms and playing in a dome, there was no real sense that this was a traditional franchise. This was an expansion franchise. This is an expansion franchise whose roots were not in the supposed glory era of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. This is not a team where baby boobers can wax rhapsodic, oh, I remember going to the Mariners game. No, they were a new franchise. And like a lot of the new franchises that were made, their initial uniform and, and stadium identity and hat identity and color schemes were different, were new, were daring. And basically were saying, yeah, we're one of the new teams. They were formed the same year as the Toronto Blue Jays. There is nothing traditional about their hat, their logo, even the font they use for the numbers on their back. And because of that, I believe there is a certain beauty in the uniforms. The same reason I found there was a beauty in the Expos uniforms, beauty in the Padres uniforms, a beauty in, yeah, I'll say it, the Astros uniforms. I did a whole podcast about that. I did a whole video about that. That with their original design of their uniforms, of their hats, it, it harkened to the time when they were created. That when they were born, when they were conceived, when they were brought upon the world. This is not a team, as I said, who you can trace back like the Cardinals or the, the Yankees. This is a team that came about post-Watergate. It came, they played their first season with Jimmy Carter as president. So why should they have a uniform that does anything except to hearken to that moment? They were the first, the, the Mariners and the Blue Jays were the first teams to exist and, and be conceived in and to have their first year be in the free agency era. Modern baseball. Modern baseball with modern designs. They hosted the All-Star Game in 1979, and they added a star around the trident, which became, it was first kind of like a special hat they wore, but ultimately became their main design throughout most of the, uh, from the beginning of the 80s until the end of the 1986 season. And I think that the star around the trident is also a great, great design. It's less minimal than the 70s trident, but it was, it had a cool look to it. And once again, the Mariners were a team that looked like, hey, 
This is a new market, a new city, a new franchise, and a new look to a team. And with that, the Mariners had really their first ever highlight. That was Gaylord Perry winning his 300th game, wearing that crazy Mariners hat and uniform and everything like that. It looked cool because it was new. We used to not be afraid of new in baseball. We used to sometimes embrace new in baseball. And then something happened. In the late 80s, teams started to embrace a more traditional look. Now, I'm not going to go into a deep dive in this because when I do episode number 1500, which is coming up in just a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about the notion of when nostalgia begins because it doesn't go all the way back to the beginning of baseball. It basically harkens to us trying to always revert time back to a specific window. And it meant dragging teams that were not part of that window. I'll give you a little spoiler. It's the end of World War II, which is supposedly the happy ending of the history of America. And every team is pulled back into, sucked into that vortex. Again, it's a larger topic that I'm going to talk about in a few days, but the Mariners were drawn into that vortex to create a more traditional look. They abandoned the, the trident and added an S. And kind of a weird S, a kind of a block S, a golden S. They kept the colors the same. But the font now was kind of more of a traditional Mariners across the front. There was no racing stripe down the side. It was a traditional-looking uniform. And with it, they also added a new logo. By dropping the, the trident altogether, they created a baseball with M's on it. M apostrophe S. As if anyone referred to them as the M's. Hey, how are the M's doing? I don't know. Maybe they did. But I never heard of anyone doing that. And it seemed forced. You know, like when you see like an advertising company coming up with the next cool thing the kids are going to love. And it almost always looks stupid. Almost always is stupid. The M's were like that for me. It seemed forced. It seemed trite. M's? Really? Really? That's where we're going with this? You had this cool, badass trident and a feel to your team in this dome stadium that looked like a modern franchise, and you're going to go with a faux traditional look and a stupid new forced nickname. You know, when people call, you know, call themselves by a nickname, when you create your own nickname, like, yeah, I'm the moose. Everyone calls me the moose. Yeah, I'm Lightning Bill or whatever. It's always a disaster. People give you the nickname. And with that, the Mariners wore these new unis, had this new look, and it was, uh, I don't know, kind of phony baloney to me. And yet with that, the first moment that the country really paid attention to what was happening to the Mariners and focus was turned to them, happened when a new dynamic player who became one of the greatest players of all time showed up in Seattle. 
That would be Ken Griffey Jr. And in those uniforms came one of the great feel-good, heartwarming moments in the history of baseball. Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. hit back-to-back home runs. Father and son in the lineup at the same time, playing well at the same time. It was something that when they showed us, it was just you couldn't help but feel good when you saw that clip and see how much fun Ken Griffey Jr. was having and how much fun the father and son were having together wearing those uniforms. And for many people, really associating themselves with the Mariners with that look, not with a trident look, not with a racing pipe down the side. Now, they changed the, the color scheme and a lot of the logos as the things like teal and darker colors became the norm in the 90s. And with that, the Mariners had finally broke into the postseason. And with that, played one of the single most exciting postseason series ever, period. End of sentence. The 1995 division series between the Yankees and the Seattle Mariners was one of the greatest postseason series I've ever seen. It was jaw-dropping. It was spectacular and had an unbelievable climax, one that involved Ken Griffey Jr. racing all the way from first to score the series-ending run on a double in the 11th inning. And with that, when you think about out in what was essentially baseball Siberia, in Seattle, where year after year they had losing season after losing season after losing season, and then a stretch where they had Ken Griffey Jr.'s prime, Edgar Martinez's prime, most of Randy Johnson's prime, a big chunk of Alex Rodriguez's prime, the whole career of Ichiro Suzuki, the career of Felix Hernandez, all these players who have had remarkable Hall of Fame, or at least Hall of Fame considering seasons, playing the bulk of their career, wearing the Seattle Mariners S, which now had kind of a cool compass in the middle of it. I'll give it that. And this, the, the dark blue and teal and color scheme. And I keep looking at this team as they moved out of the Dome to Safeco. And Seattle is looked upon as oh, a newer franchise, still, relatively, in a newer market and a place that is becoming more and more technologically savvy, and a place which is you consider with you know, high-tech and, and everything. And they have uniforms that, I'm sorry, I still find kind of dull, kind of uninspiring. When I think of the Mariners, I still think of the Trident. I still think of that interesting font that they had on their uniforms. And I I saw a picture of Ken Griffey Jr. as a minor leaguer in the Seattle organization wearing the old, kind of the old school 70s style, 80s style Mariners uniform, which they must have had on the farm before he made it up to the major leagues. Think like, oh man, I would have loved to have seen the kid wear those. And not just on throwback day. I've seen Ichiro wear it on throwback day, and I'm sure Griffey Jr. did as well. But man, bring the trident back. It looked different. It looked like it goes back to its real roots, its real nostalgia. And I think it would make a cool identity, but now they've been on the S almost too long. 
and they almost can't even go back. Every once in a while, they'll wear the hat that has just the compass on it. I find that kind of interesting, because it's not something clear. You look at, what the hell is that? It's a compass with a baseball. I guess that's cool, but the trident is even cooler. I wish they kept it. I wish that when Griffey Jr. raced around from first and slid home and jumped up, he had the trident on the helmet. I wish that when Randy Johnson stood on the mound at the end of that playoff game against the Angels or when A-Rod broke into the scene or when the Ichiro would lay down all those crazy bunts and threw out Jermaine Dye from right field or when Felix Hernandez threw his perfect game. I wish those took place with the trident on there. Because in so many ways, that's how I look at the team. Don't be afraid of your real roots and your real nostalgia. Again, I'm going to go into this in a deep dive, but it makes me sad that this Mariner's hat that I have with the trident on it is of their obscure days when there was really nothing of note happening in the kingdom. If I ever moved to the Pacific Northwest, I'd have to think long and hard about whether or not I would adopt the Mariners as my team. I'm not sure yet. This is a hypothetical move. I might as well be talking about, you know, if I ever joined the Mars space station. But I will say this. If it so happens that I do move there and I decide to adapt the Mar to adopt the Marlins and try geez, to adopt the Mariners, holy cats. I don't even talk about the Marlins, holy Toledo. That if I ever adopt the Mariners, the chances are the hat that I would wear would not be the one with the S on it, but would be the one that is currently on my head with the upside-down trident. I miss that. I want that to be the identity of the team. It probably never will be. This is probably a scream in the dark from a loon who does 365 podcasts a year and is following through on was basically a joke. But I mean it. It's the real history and roots of a team that, well, let's face it, the S has not exactly been a great good luck charm either. They're still waiting for the first World Series to ever be played there. And when they do, wouldn't it be cooler with a trident hat? Maybe I'm just crazy. I'd be fine with the trident hat or the trident with the star around it. Either way, it's what Seattle should be. So, Rob, a Illini Dodger fan, thanks for tweeting out to me and wanting me to follow through on a joke. So, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. You could be old school, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Following through on my jokes and talking for a while about the Seattle Mariners hats because it comes from the heart like a trident thrown at the heart. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 20th day of November 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.